delighted to have you in the podcast where all stories are welcome and the masks come off Hi Ribhu. Hi Shiba. How are you? Very good. Welcome to Soul Brews with Shiba and Coffee and Soul. So delighted to have you with me, Ribhu. The pleasure is all mine, Shiba. <laughs> wonderful to be here. Well, and wonderful to see you. And there you are sitting in Oroville. I see the green. Lucky, yes. lucky, lucky you. There's so much yes. of that right now. So, thank you so much for making the time for this, uh, Ribhu. Really appreciate it. Mm, it's my pleasure, Shiba. <laughs> wonderful to see you. Good to see you too. Do you have your coffee ready? Yes, I do. Okay. Especially brewed. Okay, at wonderful. At home because we don't have a coffee machine here. Yeah. So what I will do is also pour myself my coffee. Okay. Most of my soul brews have the sound which I love. So. <laughs> yeah. Cheers, Rabu. Great to have you. Cheers, Shiba. Cheers. Ah, yes. Hmm. Good coffee. Is this Mark's coffee you're drinking? This is Mark's coffee. Of yes. course. Yes. <laughs> and that's another story. Um, Ribu, can I ask you to just hold the cup of coffee in your hands sure. if it's not too hot? Now, if you can just sit it's cold. back. It's cold. <laughs> All right. And you can just breathe it in. Just the aroma. Mm. If you sit back. And, and just keep your eyes closed and see what comes to you as you sit back and relax and think about this. of breathe this in what do you see or hear i don't see or hear anything but i feel gratefulness when i when i hear your voice and i'm sitting in this building shiba because you you were part of um realizing this dream and so i'm i'm just grateful grateful to be healthy grateful to be here with you um have my feet on the floor of this office room and uh yeah gratefulness so and, and and you know that's such a beautiful feeling and thank you for starting us off on that on that uh, lovely note mm. so when you talk about when all this was is here now what's that about you go what what is all this that is here now Tell so me. all this that is here like physically physically i mean the, the office that we are in recenter was um, was the vision of, of getting different organizations to work together in waste um so so i'm the co-founder of wasteless and but what we focus on education only but just to focus on on that one little component that one little niche in waste management to teach children about the importance of waste management isn't enough alone we need these other pieces of the pie to fit together we need artists working on waste we need efficient waste management companies we need lots of innovative entrepreneurs kind of coming up with solutions and so we had this dream in Oroville of bringing people together under one campus um and you helped us kind of uh, you and Lena helped us uh, kind of gather that vision and really um, bring it out of all of our hearts and we could see that it was shared and so just physically feeling my feet on the stone on the floor and and, and looking out the window at the light and the trees um and seeing you has has just made me really grateful because that that dream has has become a reality 
I, you know, it's, it's so beautiful to hear that because I remember when it was, we were talking about it and we learned a lot through that session that we had with you and you facilitated, but you know, there was a huge learning for us as well. And uh, I remember the, it, it was just a thought at that time, recenter, yeah. getting everybody together, uh, just, just, just so that the people around who are listening uh, know that Ribu works with with waste. He talks trash, as he likes to say, <laughs> and and uh, and the idea is to to really help at looking how at how to reduce waste, how to, and I I don't want to steal his thunder and talk about it. I want him <laughs> no, to speak no. about it. So tell me, Ribu, what is it that you do in in so it deeply, I mean, we were looking for solutions in waste management and everything seemed a bit bleak. We started with cleanups, uh, Sheba in 2010, mm. small town, small village called Oroville. Mm. And um, we realized that cleaning ups weren't, weren't going to solve the problem. It was like mopping with the tap on. We could mm. continue doing this forever and it wouldn't, wouldn't bring any systemic change. Mm. And um, because we focused on cleanups, we needed to, to kind of create impact. So we, we automatically approached groups of people where there were large numbers. So we, we, we approached schools um, so we could get lots of kids helping us clean up and that would make things clean up. I mean, would make the cleanup happen faster and would have a bigger impact. And what we saw with children, Shiba, is that we saw they, they had this openness. They wanted to do something good for the environment. They had a vested interest in their future. Mm. And they could pester their parents like no one else could. Mm. So we thought that that combination, that, that openness, that eagerness to do something good with the ability to bring change home in a positive way rather than a negative kind of more, um, maybe a, a method based on judgment like Shiba, you are not doing good, you should be doing this. Mm, mm. But we're, we're children would bring it like, we should be doing this. I want to do this. And it, it was positive. Um, so we naturally gravitated more away from cleanups and more towards creating content, educational games and content that inspire children to do this, to close the tap, to reduce mm. waste mm. And, um, and to improve mopping, to, to find ways to recycle and compost. Mm. And, um, mm. and that journey has taken us, it's, it was wonderful because what we realized is that we need to get involvement from children in designing these materials. Mm. Um, and so that's what, what I love doing is, is trying to get inspiration from children, from students and teachers in how can we design this education experience. And you do a lot of work with different schools, right? And a lot of them are in Chennai and in different parts of the country as well. And yes. the government basically has supported this a lot as well. Am I right in that? Yes, absolutely. So we do a lot of the research here in Oroville in, in our surrounding area where we have a high level of control. And then once we create something that we feel has a powerful impact, and, and we, we measure this with different social impact tools, we share it. Mm. And um, it used to be physical kits and games, now increasingly more digital. Mm. And um, we changed our model, actually, you guys were also helpful in inspiring us to do that, is to, to start giving things for free instead of selling them. Because when we were selling our physical printed kits and games, basically only the private schools, the higher end schools were, were interested in it. And um, when we started 
a free model where we exchange content for free in exchange for social impact data. So if you're a teacher, we give you the materials, uh, but you have to tell us how students responded, what was their pre-knowledge, their post-knowledge mm. after the program. Um, it was more of a partnership. Um, so now we have partnerships with, through our various programs, over 500 schools across India, some international. Wow. And uh, what's been- What a journey, what a journey. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. What's been beautiful about that, Shiva, is that uh, the data that we got back from students, understanding how they responded to certain experiences, helped us go to the Tamil Nadu government and convince them to change the way they teach children in their textbooks. Mm -hmm. So we're able to take those insights and then plug them in. So then the impact becomes um, much wider. So, so really, that's our goal now, from now on, is to, um, yes. to work with the government to kind of change the way we're teaching children about these topics to make them more empowering and inspire children to, to yeah. change their habits. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And besides the Tamil Nadu government, are you also working elsewhere? Are you looking at other governments? I, I do know that you came to Delhi and yeah. had a chat with NCRT on some of the textbooks and stuff like that. Did that how did that go? Yeah, that didn't go so well. Okay. Um, <laughs> not yet. Yeah. I think we, we need to prove to them at scale. And so that's exactly what we're doing right now is at scale of a million or two million students. Is this working out? Is it linking? Um, and, and that's what we're doing now with Tamil Nadu government seem to be much more open. Um, right now we're, we're working on a project funded by the National Geographic Society. Wow. Um, yeah, it's a, that it's is a dream, awesome. dream donor. Yes. Awesome. Um, yeah. Yes. Okay. And it's, uh, Let's stop a minute to celebrate that. Yeah, it is. Super. <laughs> yeah. That is super. All right. Great. Great. We pitched a project with the um, to National Geographic Society, and it's an Explorer grant. And basically, we're we're teaching, we're developing a curriculum for Tamil Nadu schools, but we'll translate it into Hindi as well. So it'll be in Tamil, Hindi, and English. Mm. Um, we're targeting government schools exactly because we've seen that this jump from government schools to, to these, these textbooks make a, make a lot of sense. Sure. Um, and um, hopefully later this year, if schools reopen, we'll be able to run it. But uh, what was beautiful is that we managed to do the pilot just before um, kind of schools, COVID, the pandemic, closed schools in Pondicherry. Mm. And, um, and again, like I was saying, we'd like to get, this is what excites me the most, is getting the input from students sitting right. in the back of that classroom and watching the teacher unpack this information. And, and lots of your ideas that you come up with here in the office, uh, they, they don't um, get implemented in the exact same way. Mm -hmm. And actually you get so much inspiration sitting there and trying to understand, okay, how could I bridge this the science that we want to the students' consciousness. How can mm. we do it in a better way? Mm. Um, and, and we realized that piloting, that testing these materials is super, super crucial. Um, and it was a blessing. I think we finished, our, we had five schools. We finished our last school on Friday mm. at 1.30, the mm. last lesson. And um, we got the letter from the uh, Directorate of School Education at three saying that schools had to be shut that Friday. Oh my God. So we were just, just in, the, in the nick of time. And um, wow, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was just a blessing to be able to do it. And, and yeah. Well, it's, it's definitely an idea that whose time has come for it to have happened the way it has. 
It's amazing. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I hope yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> I thought that 10 years ago. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> ten, 10 years when you look at it from, you know, the, from a helicopter view, 10 years is actually nothing. And you right. guys have really made great strides in that. Yeah, Thank so you, it's, it's it's huge. The fact that you stuck with it, you know, this has become such a. It's I know that because I've worked with all of you at Wasteless, and that it's a it's a it's a passion. It's a palpable thing. It's not a, you know, it's not a nice to do. It's it's a commitment, and that is mm. what is so beautiful. Um, you tell me about your life. Okay, now we know about what you do, but okay, what's it been like for you? Uh, I know that you've grown up in Oroville. You're an Oroville kid. And um, what's it been like? Tell, tell me a little bit about your journey. Well, life growing up in Oroville is wonderful. Um, I think there was so much, there is so much freedom. You were born um, here, right? I was born here, yeah, yeah. about three kilometers that way. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, there was so much freedom, so much openness. I think with the philosophy of, of Sri Aurobindo and, and Mira Alfasa, the mother, there was so much focus on, on kind of that innate connection that children have to something deeper that we lose as adults, that we were given so much freedom to, to try different things. And I think that gave me a little bit, I think it shaped me in getting a bit more responsibility um, mm -hmm. in saying, okay, if I want to do this, because this is my choice, I'm free to make that choice. Um, then I'm going to give it my all. And um, so it was beautiful growing up. I think around my teenage years, I needed more structure. Um, and I, I went to boarding school. And after that, I went to the Netherlands because I'm, I'm half Dutch. My mom is Dutch and my father's Indian. Um, and the Netherlands was wonderful. Um, I met Natasha there, mm. uh, my wife. And um, yeah, I think I, I remember telling her that, you know, I love you and everything, but in, in three years, we were in our first year of college, in three years, I'm going to go back to my village in India, um, <laughs> and uh, I'm not going to live here in Holland. So I think it was always clear for me that I wanted to come back, but um, to make a choice to be in an intentional community like Oroville, kind of following these values, is not a one to make lightly, and because my parents made it for me, because I grew up here, um, I needed to make that choice. No? That I was born here, that was a decision my parents had, but I really wanted to wait for the moment when I felt like, okay, I, I want to choose this, this lifestyle. And did um, that happen? Yes, yeah. Well, do you and remember that, it? Was that like a defining moment for you? Was, or I did I mean, it... It, was, it wasn't a moment, but it was a period in time. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a time when I'd graduated from uni and uh, I was working in a corporate job for Shell. And I remember, oh, there was a certain excitement. Shell is a wonderful company sure. uh, to sure. work for. They take really good care of me. I had, I had fantastic colleagues. I learned so much. But at one moment, the values of the company were so different than my own values that every day, every minute, every email, every overtime hour just felt like my life was going in a, in a totally different direction than, than those values I held true to myself. And, and that didn't sit well with me. It felt mm. uneasy. It felt uncomfortable. And no amount of money or, uh, could, could take that feeling away. Um, and so we, uh, 
I think there was a there was a certain moment. I think it was December two thousand seven or so that I um, I went home and I told my wife. Um, I told her, look, we uh, we had this plan. We were saving up money. One because we had to borrow uh, to study. The other thing is that we we were saving up money to to travel around the world, something we always wanted to do, and we had saved up enough. The plan was to save up for a year, and we spent mm. three years. Um, so in year three, I went to Natasha and I said, "Look, I'm uh, I'm done. You know, I need to leave. I'm I'm going to start this this adventure, and you and me wherever wherever I am at that time because she mm. she wanted some more time and she had a really good job." And um, she said, "Okay, give me four months to wrap up things, and then we'll go." And the next day, I went back to the office, and my boss called me in. And uh, there was a big conference. We were in the head office at Shell. Mm. There was a big conference organized for four or five hundred of us. And the CEO comes there, and um, he tells us that they're moving the entire HR organization where I was in. Mm. Um, um, they're outsourcing it to or moving it to Poland and Bangalore. Um, or Malaysia, mm, sorry, it was mm. in Malaysia, and uh, you know, my, my, I have this conversation with my boss, and and I knew I wanted to leave in four months. Right. I'd made that decision the night before, and my boss was telling me, you know, look, if you uh, if you stay on till the end, that would be really nice, and mm. you know, you'll get mm. a sign off bonus. So I was I was so happy. So that was <laughs> maybe the defining moment that said, okay, um, that it just seemed to fall in what you wanted to do, and it just seemed to fall into, fall place. into place. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And then you came back, and was it easy to get back into Orville? What was it? Was it like you never left? Or no, I mean things had changed. I think I had changed as well. Yeah. Um, I was with my wife, who who had come to Orville many times, and in the last you know fifteen years, but uh, hadn't uh, hadn't lived here. Um, but I but I was I was actually a, a book that that kind of. Uh, convinced me that my values were so different than than Shell's was Banker to the Poor by Yunus Muhammad. Mm, yes, um, and, yeah, that's a um, great, great book. Yes, great book. And I thought, you know, my dad's a, a ceramic potter. My sister had a business knitting beach bags for a fancy uh, Sydney surfwear brand. Um, and I thought, why don't why don't we, you know, give our local villages around Orville access to capital? And, uh, and then they can create their own enterprises and, and we can develop much faster. And so after reading that book, I was so inspired by microfinance that I, um, I picked up books all on our world trip this whole year, um, picked up books, tried to visit organizations to learn more about it. So when I came to Oroville, I was convinced I wanted to start a, a microfinance bank. And um, before I jumped into it, I wanted to make I wanted to see more about what it was like. What are the values mm. behind that? What is really, what is microfinance really doing on the ground? Mm, mm. I didn't want to land up in the same kind of mm. organizational structure as Shell. So I actually spent, I think, three or four months, which was really easy, very relaxed, kind of going and attending a few of these self-help group meetings, mm. um, visiting banks, seeing what they do, trying to understand more about it. And it was a bit disappointing because the more I understood, the more I realized that there was very little enterprise loans in our area. Mm. It was basically consumption loans mm. and at rates that were double what the bank was giving. Mm. Mm. Um, so it didn't feel like it was the story that Eunice was talking about. Perhaps demand is different in India. You know, mm. we're already more developed in this area of Tamil Nadu. Um, and, and with that disappointment, there was kind of a question mark 
And uh, along came my sister, Chandra, who's, who's the co-founder of Wasteless. And she said, Ribu, you're getting lazy. I had lots of savings. Mm. Uh, I would write two emails a day and feel like I was productive. I'd been mm. traveling for a year. Mm. She said, you're getting lazy. Come and help us. Because they were struggling with a, um, with a post-tsunami relief and rehabilitation yeah. project mm. to learn about waste management models that could be copied in these communities. Mm. And um, they wanted help. And, and once I joined them, that, that changed my life and, and my heart fell into garbage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Well, that's, uh, that's an amazing story. Um, so tell me some of the, um, you've given me the facts and how it was and what things changed you. What have been some of the key influences in your life? And as you reflect on it, what have been some of the highs and the lows? I know, for example, you were amongst the first batches to go through in your schooling through awareness mm. through the uh, awareness through the body. Yes, uh, started by, uh, by Joanna Naloka. Naloka, yeah. and mm. uh, and stuff you know like that. And 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 where did you? Uh, how did those kinds of things influence you? So just, just talking about some of the things that stood by you that as you journeyed in your life, your learning. So, yeah, awareness to the body was something really a, a big influence in my life constantly and it still is. Um, Natasha is an awareness to the body teacher. Yes, I believe so. That's fabulous um, now. Yeah. Which is beautiful. Yeah. Uh, yes, it, I think the quieting down and listening to yourself Mm. Um, listening to that little voice that's telling you the direction that'll make you happier, you know, that that's calm and centered and not based on greed or lust or something else. That that connecting to yourself mm. um, was was a super super skill to learn early on, yeah. the ability to just center basically. Um, How old were you when you when this was? I think I was probably twelve or thirteen, yeah, so and I still remember this example of you know you you wake up in the morning and and you, you know you uh, your toast is burnt you stub your toe um, you cut yourself shaving if you were shaving. Um, <laughs> this wonderful thing about the pandemic is I haven't shaved in few few months. Um, you look very nice with a beard, but I miss your beautiful face, Rebo. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. It's so much time saving. But, <laughs> but as I was getting back to ATB, you have these certain days where things just don't go right. And it's usually a, a kind of cascade or like a, the perfect storm of a series of things, you know. And, and, you, and what Aloka and Joan, who are the founders of Awareness to the Body, they, they like to, and, and it's based on, on Sherbindo and, and mother's philosophy, but also a lot about on, on yoga, mm. on uh, Tai Chi, mm. on martial arts, mm. on dance. And a lot of it is how these different aspects of ourselves, um, she used this little like color chart, I think, of different yes. like, human body. And That's she right. spread them out and she'd say they're, they're not aligned. And um, there was a simple, simple exercise where we had to close our eyes and listen to a sound really far away. And you can try this even if you're feeling like one of those bad days. So I, I hear a bird call far away and then bring your attention back to like the hair on your hand or your arm and try to feel the sensation of the fan is on. So I feel my hair is moving and I feel cool breeze. 
and then switch your attention back to something far away. And you do that a few times and it's incredible how you just, I feel more centered and I can feel like, okay, then I'll start my day. And usually when I do that, there's no other accidents that happen. And, and, I'm, and, and so being able to change your outer reality by focusing on that inner and that care of just the concern, the ability to listen and be able to do something um, was, was super, super influential. Um, and another big thing I think for me was having parents like my dad had studied in England, had done really well academically and, and came back and decided to be a handmade. Um, I mean, and that's, that's Angad, right? Handmade potter, yes. Yes, Angad. of course. And yes. so he had made that choice. My mom was studying to be an x-ray technician, was an x-ray technician and decided to travel overland to India and teach geography. Um, and she's and an so exceptional photographer, exceptional. Yes. And she Lisbeth. does photography, yeah. Yeah. Lisbeth. Yeah. And, and so there were so many people around me in Orville at the time who had chosen their passions and not particularly linked to what they had studied or what they thought they wanted to do at 17. And when they were 35, they chose something completely different. And so there was a shift from, okay, do I... I still remember this in, in studying and, and I, was, I was a little bit of a rowdy, um, but I would, I, would, I would not be interested in certain subjects and then not focus on them too much. I'd, mm. I'd get by. Mm. Um, I wouldn't waste my time about facts of history because they didn't interest me. Mm. But if there was something I was really interested in, I would dive deep into it and really try to understand as much as I wanted. And I was curious and, um, and that strive for, for learning, mm. driven by interest, not by what the teacher said or what was in the exam. I didn't care, pass, pass, fine. Um, yeah. but, but really driven by, by that passion, that, that definitely shaped me um, mm. hugely. And it still, I mean, it still influences my life yeah. today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's, uh, that's so interesting to hear. Ribu, is there an adage you live by or like a metaphor for life that you have that you fall back on when things are rough or yes. be a couple yeah yes um it's a long story though that's all right <laughs> i have all the time okay there was this on this world trip we went um we went through australia and um and we were we, we had met a good friend of my mom's uh jan who was living in sydney and put us up in a beautiful apartment and um she told us about this amazing old lady who is protecting a, 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 an island reserve um, off, off the coast in Queensland. Um, and she said she saw this old lady and said, we must go visit Hinchinbrook Island. It was this island and we okay. must go see Margaret. And um, I remember thinking, you know, do I really want to see an old lady? I'm, I'm 27, traveling through Australia. But, but if Jan says so, I'll go, and, I'll go and meet her. And Jan said we had to book the island. We could walk through the island, hike through this majestic island, but we had to book at least a month in advance. And that was impossible for Natasha and I to do because we were planning every day as we went along. So sure. we didn't book. And uh, we landed up in, I think the town was Cardwell. And we called Margaret up and she came and she was a small little lady, pretty frail, in a big SUV. Um, she picked us up and we were driving a camper van. So we drove behind her into this swamp where she had this magical house 
And um, she started telling us her story and how her husband and her had, had loved nature and he had passed on. Um, but they they'd loved this island that was totally, you know, um, isolated from mainland Australia. So it had all these unique species and it wasn't overburdened by tourism, which most of the East Coast is, and how she was, how she was fighting for it. And, um, wow. and at one, one point, the whole village or whole small town wanted uh, to promote a development on the island for rich people to build houses and yachts. And um, Margaret and her, her friend Ken uh, and a bunch of environmentalists wanted to stop this because it was illegal. There was pristine mangroves and rainforests that wow. were being cut away. Mm. Um, but every time, and Jan had helped her buy a boat with a few artists, they'd raised money to buy a boat so they could kind of monitor the situation around the island. Mm. And so every time they got into this boat and would go to, to Hinchinbrook Island, they would be stopped by fishermen or the local police or someone because the whole town wanted that development. It meant a lot of jobs. Sure. Um, and she had this feeling that they were using JCBs to dig away the mangroves mm. and all that wonderful kind of coastline protection to, to have a nice white sand beach that rich people would like. And um, she couldn't get there to get the evidence. So it was only hearsay and, and, and she couldn't you know, do anything about it. And so at one point, and, and Shiva, this is a part in, in Queensland where there's signs all along the coast mm. that you shouldn't go and wash your hands at the same part of the sea or clean fish at the same part of the sea because they're saltwater crocodiles. These are massive crocodiles. Sure. Uh, you shouldn't swim in, in areas which yeah. don't have that protection. Um, it's not, a, it's not a, a sea that you swim in. And so what Margaret decided one day with Ken is that they were going to swim. And I think it's like five or 10 kilometers. It's a far swim. They were going to swim with a camera, take photographic evidence and swim back because, you know, a little head bobbing up in that ocean, nobody could see and they could kind of sneak in. Yeah. And, um, and Ken said, look, this is suicide. You know, I'm not going to do this. Mm -hmm. We're going to get eaten by crocodiles or sharks. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and Margaret told him, you know what you have to do? You have to think butterflies you have to force your mind to think not of crocodiles, but of something positive. And- um, Isn't that amazing? And wow. I get goosebumps every time I say it, it, This um, is my goosebump moment. <laughs> awesome. Because um, think butterflies and they swam across, they took pictures. Um, they used that evidence to change not only the future of Hinchinbrook Island, but every national park now, I think has to have a 10 year plan. Um, so that none of these kind of political uh, games can happen where, you know, suddenly a national park is converted into uh, bungalows or, or tourism spot. And um, they revolutionized the way that island and this, and, and basically other national parks are protected. And, and I think that's my adage because all along life, whenever something seems impossible, um, like Tamil Nadu government, we wrote these textbooks that I'm looking at right now. Like pick, pick, up, pick one up, pick one up. They're under my screen. <laughs> my screen is going to get lower. Okay, but, fine. <laughs> this one. Yeah. So class seven uh, yeah. science, social science textbook. We wrote this 24 times, this chapter. 24 wow. different drafts of the same content um, in a different way. And I think at draft 20, I was telling myself, okay, you know, Ribu, this is, we, we had three textbooks done this is when we, you know, this is too much. We've wasted enough time. Yes. 
we yes. have to quit. We don't have money. We can't pay the illustrator again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we can't go on. Yeah. Um, and, and at this time, I remember sitting in the taxi to Chennai and forcing my mind to think butterflies and saying, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet the Secretary of Education. I'm going to demand that the next two drafts, we're going to get it in. And, uh, and it happened. And so, again, this ability of through our consciousness, through our minds, through our intention to be able to change external circumstances. And, and I use it all the time. And that is so, so inspiring. Mm. You know, you've, uh, think butterflies. I mean, what could be more beautiful? Then, yeah, and I, I tell my daughter Moksha, who's who's been recently scared of bad dreams and monsters, about the, the opposite is thinking mosquitoes, um, and it's oftentimes you know in this risk averse kind of climate where we live in, this is what we're thinking about. You know, mm. what what are the weaknesses? What are the threats that are gonna, you know, mm. gonna stop us? Not mm. looking at the opportunity and saying this is an amazing opportunity. We can inspire a million children. If we just think butterflies, it's going to happen. And when you have that attitude, and this is what I loved about, you know, that, that amazing advice that Margaret told us um, and this amazing story of how we, yeah, you, that nothing is impossible if you set your mind to it. And, and if you can keep in your mind, in your heart, that that impossibility is a reality, then it's just gonna it's just gonna unfold in front of you, and and no crocodile is gonna eat you at least. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, yeah, that is that's amazing. So for someone, some people who are just starting out on their journey, mm. or a similar kind of journey that you have had, is there something that you'd like? One of the biggest things you could have said is think butterflies. But is, that, <laughs> is there anything else? Yeah. That, you can tell yeah, me. I think I mean, now I'm thinking of, of older people who, are, who are really influenced me. Another one was my grandmother, um, Oma Meep, on my, on my mom's side. Um, she was, uh, when, when, when her husband was taken away to labor camp during Second World War, she would wake up at five in the morning on a cycle with wooden tires and go bring eggs and secret messages to Jews hiding around her, wow. her hometown. And fearless. Um, and I think... Later on life, when I, when I decided that I wanted to not, because I'd studied hospitality management and they were so happy that I was working in these five-star hotels and I would invite them for nice brunches and high teas. And, and I told them, look, I'm going to switch. Um, I don't like it. I, I don't like hotels. I'm going I'm to try something with an oil company. They liked the idea, but they were sad that, you know, I'd made that change. My grandfather was saying, you wasted your education. You could have done something else. And um, and Oma Meep, um, she always said, and, and I, she always said, it's, it's better to regret the things you do than the things you don't do. Because you look back on life and you can't unchange those. So if you faced with that decision, you know, that path, that fork in the road, do I go this direction? Do I stay with Shell or do I quit and, you know, try, follow my dreams and go live in Oroville and try microfinance? Um, it, it, it would be a less painful regret to have chosen something and, and it fell on, I fell on my face. Microfinance didn't end up to be what I wanted it to be. Um, but, but it would be less painful than staying at Shell and wondering what if. Absolutely. Um, and so I think there, if you're starting off, um, yeah, you know, remember that it's, it's going to be less painful to regret those decisions where you just charge ahead and say, yes, I want to do this. I'm, I'm just going to follow it. And uh, then, then to look back 
50 years later when you're retired and say, what if I did that? You know? So just take the plunge. Take the plunge, jump off the fence. I think that's a big, big thing. And, and, and combined with thinking butterflies, I mean, if I look at my life at Wasteless, and it's 10 years now almost, um, all, all the projects have just, there's always been this mist and, and maybe that's a terrible business model and I'm not a good example. Um, so I'm not like the other corporates on, on Soul Brews, but uh, <laughs> um, there's, there, it seems like I'm walking down this path, but I can't see so far ahead. At Shell, I would be walking down the path and I, I could see five kilometers ahead. I knew, okay, job group, you know, next is job group six and that comes with this bonus and we can buy the house and I can get this lease car. And, and at Wasteless, I, I can't see more than a year. And, and I think there, oof, it, it, in the social space, it seems to be something a lot of my, my peers and my colleagues face too, because you're not, you don't have a conventional business model. And so there, I think, kind of having a trust and jumping off the fence and, yeah. and putting one foot after the other and, and, and just keep walking um, was, was super, super important. Yeah. Um, I get that. And, and more than anything else, I think it's just the sheer, it's the courage, you know, of living with the things that are not, things that are ambiguous, things that are uncertain, yet following your passion, following a dream. And uh, there must be times when it's hard. You know, other things beckon, but uh, I'm sure they do to all of us. That, you know, and uh, to stay the course that you've set out for yourself, I think that takes a lot of. Um, it depends on what the yeah. I mean, it, perseverance and but, but I would say courage. In my case, I feel it's not courage because I was lucky. I I I struck gold. I found work that doesn't feel like work. I found something that I, 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 I love doing. And, and so there's, there's, of course, things that you don't like doing within your regular work week. Like, I hate emails. I wish they didn't exist. But <laughs> it, I think there's, if, if you have the blessing and the luck to find work that doesn't feel like work, that feels like it syncs with your values, that, that what you feel is important and what you're doing are aligned and, and that you have something coming back, something. Then it doesn't feel like you're courageous. It feels like it's the only thing you're supposed to do. And, and okay, it means less money, um, fine. It means some, some uncertainty in the path ahead and and some level of trust, okay. But you're blessed with, I mean, the other alternative for me would be sitting at, the, at, at my corporate desk, looking at the clock, waiting for five o'clock to come around, you know? Um, and, and that didn't feel like a good alternative. So yeah, it's, it's interesting how this journey goes and, and um, that I was lucky. The heart and garbage now, it's not moving from there. <laughs> it's, it's there. Yeah. That's amazing. And more power to you, Ribu, with all that you've set out to do with your heart and garbage. Mm, um, thank you. Uh, you know, each one of us has something unique to give to the world, to humankind. And I strongly believe that you have your own little, little something to add to the tapestry. Mm. Uh, what is your unique gift to people? I don't know. 
I hope yeah. that we can, I mean, I hope what we are doing is planting a seed in these children, that some of them, one in a thousand, one in 10,000 that we interact with, picks it up and takes it forward um, and does better than we do. And, and through this, we, that, that, that the only place garbage will be and pollution will be in history books. That would be my dream. And, and if we can have that, oof, that would be amazing. So, so that's the, the, the ideal contribution. That would be the, the ideal. Um, and otherwise, it's, I think it's just being true and trying to, trying to inspire other people to give their best. And, uh, and, and I think with a lot of things with work, and again, this comes back to that maybe the upbringing in Oroville and following your passion, but I feel that if you're able to, to concentrate your attention and a desire for quality into something, um, that material, that material thing has a certain power that's difficult to, to quantify. I mean, I just take like, I'll try to find an example from the textbook. I'm not sure if it'll be here, but uh, um, if you're able to, to find the page number. Okay, so this, this is a, a resin code chart. Mm. from that's talking about the different plastics like this is pet you know what are common pet items mm. so this is a resin code chart and i think we had like our designers we had maybe 10 different versions of it what color what font size what are we going to put on there but we as a team kind of spent i think a week or two mm. really working on this content back and forth with designers trying to improve it now we could have gone and seeing what other education programs do or what the plastic lobby is, is writing on their, you know, resin code explanations and just copy paste it. And it would, it would have perhaps the similar impact in terms of knowledge. But if you're really trying to find the exact examples for your target audience, trying to see, okay, what color do children associate with dangerous plastic? Let's put those on the dangerous numbers, um, you know, what type of lines do they like? When you really get into the details and try to give it your all, um, then that, that information that somehow carries a certain power. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's something we obsess about a lot at Wasteless. And sometimes we go too far and I don't think the return is equal to, to what we put in. But a lot of times I feel like when you really try your best and, and you really put everything into it and you push your design team and you push the content writers and you, you, you re-interview scientists about everything, asking them difficult questions and trying to get them to think about these issues and how we should educate children, then you're creating the most powerful tool. And so putting that consciousness into something as simple as a, you know, an A4 diagram that was a poster, um, yeah, that's super, super important. And I think you see that a lot with, with products. Um, mm -hmm. I love Apple and, and Steve Jobs obsessed about quality and mm. certain details. And you see that when, when people do that, they, they push something new. And suddenly that, that keyboard that lights up when it's dark um, automatically, it's such a little gimmick. It's not really used by me so much, mm. but I like it. And sure, it gives me sure. joy and, and it's my work tool. And so um, I'm happy with it. And, and so I think that if we can really 
infuse quality in everything we do, we move away, we, we create more and um, we create yeah, more, I lost your voice there. More value. Yes. More yes. value in those things. Yeah. And yeah, um, yeah so, so that's something I hope that we're also trying to bring out in, in the education space um, mm. is, is, is not only get children to design it, but really try to design the best possible content for them. Mm. Um, yeah. so so, so, so beauty in, is inherent in quality, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And thought, you know, I think we, yeah. we do so many things unconsciously because they've just been done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in our latest program, it's interesting, Manas, who you connected yes. us with, is yes. helping us. And uh, I remember we, we have this, so we, we studied the science at the perfect time during last year's lockdown mm. for the Nat Geo project. And there's so many scientists, Shiva, that I love and admire, like hero worship around the world, um, Anthony Andrade in the US or mm. Jennifer Lavers in, in Tasmania. These are you know, some of the brightest minds in the space of plastic pollution, environmental sustainability related to plastic. Um, super, super sharp, amazing mm. people who never wrote us back actually mm. uh, during normal times. Like <laughs> Wasteless at Oroville wasn't an email address <laughs> they had time for. Um, and, and so during lockdown, actually, everyone had time and, and we got to interview them. And so what we had was a tremendous amount of science. And, and we tried to kind of distill it into the key aspects. And I can't talk too much about it now because yeah. otherwise Nat Geo won't be happy. Um, but they, what I was trying to get at is um, a lot of times from our perspective, we're trying to bridge this gap between science and peer reviewed science and students and teaching Mm. them the best available science today. Mm. And in a way that inspires them to do something about what the scientists are learning. And oftentimes we see that, and and in the pilot test we saw that there's just not enough class time Mm. Mm. to teach Mm. all this science and, and to give it to the students. And we're so passionate about it. So I automatically said, okay, we're going to start take home activities. And, uh, you know, some of my teammates were like, well, that's just another word for homework. Um, and uh, Manas came to us and, and he's been mentoring us wonderfully through developing this program. And, and he said, you know, children don't learn from homework. And I remember, okay. <laughs> Every education program has some take home activity or something you do at home, but children aren't learning from it. So why are we following that kind of cookie cutter rule? Mm. Um, and, and this is exactly why we want to question everything we're doing. And if, you know, I remember I hated homework. Mm. Um, it was something that, as I told you, I was a little bit rowdy. My parents would tell me about Friday night, I had to do my homework. And Sunday evening, I remember thinking, <laughs> no, I had to do my homework and feeling really stressed about it. And, and it's not how I do everything today, but it's, it's just... Yeah. That idea of, of giving students something a burden and, and maybe the quantity of science that we want to pour into this child's consciousness is too much. Mm. And maybe we have to decide that we have to find the essence of what might inspire this child and then give them that only. Mm. And if they're interested, they can learn more. Um, but but so, so this is interesting about questioning our ideas and really putting thought into everything we do because um, so many things are devoid of thought. We just automatically kind of, okay, it's been done this way. Let's continue doing it. And I think that's why a lot of the problems we have today are just being replicated because, oh yeah, that's the way it's done. 
Um, this is the way we teach children about chemistry of plastics. And if we just keep repeating it, it's just going to yeah. go past their right. heads. Yeah. Exactly. Also, there's, uh, from what I'm hearing, there's lots of different things you, you're trying and nuances that you're looking at that uh, to ensure with the, with the passion that it must go into the spaces that it's meant to go. So people pick this up or kids pick this up and do something about it. It becomes yeah. a part of their, their conversation, their vocabulary, their consciousness. And, mm. I, and I get that, that how much you all are thinking about it and how, how, how uh, in, in obvious ways and subtle, how to make, get the message, message home. And that is, that is clearly, uh, clearly part of, a big part of what you want to do. Ribu, it's been an absolute delight uh, speaking with you. Is there something else you'd like to say before we sign off this, uh, we close this conversation? No, everyone out there, your uh, Shiva is super cool and you have to subscribe to her channel <laughs> if, if there's a possibility. <laughs> no, it's been a pleasure, um, absolute pleasure. Lovely to see your face. Uh, lovely to see the recenter in the background of this little screen of my face here. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so grateful for everything you do, Shiva. And, and for the journey that you've helped us, for, the, for this dream you've helped us manifest and for the inspiration you continuously give us and, and for sharing these stories. It's, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And um, Likewise, yeah. Rebu. Thank you so much for making the time. And it's always been a joy to speak with you. And I really hope you change the whole narrative around waste uh, one kid at a time. And I'm sure it's going to happen. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your time and attention and for being a part of Soul Brews with Shiva. Until next week, keep the coffee swirling. <laughs>